I owned and operated radio station. 1350 WGPL Portsmouth. Good evening, Hampton Roads. You are tuned in to the Family and Marriage Clinic with your host, Bishop Carl Hodges. We say good evening, Bishop. Well, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Welcome to another episode of Marriage and Family Clinic. To every listener in any state, I welcome you. And to every listener in any country, also, I'm tremendously glad to have you. And I welcome you to Marriage and Family Clinic. This is the day that the Lord has made, and I hope he has showed up or will show up in your day for your good. In Southern Virginia, we're coming to you from WGPL 1350, WPCE 1400 on your AM dial, and WBXB 100.1 on your FM dial. You can also listen and dial in on live stream. Listen to the live stream at www.christianbroadcastingcompany.com. If you would like to hear this or any other broadcast or episode, you can find the podcast. I'll go home and turn this into a podcast, and you can find it by searching The C.D. Hodges. The C.D. Hodges. Just search that on iTunes or just click on that little purple podcast player icon on your smart device. You'll find us, The C.D. Hodges Podcast. You'll find Marriage and Family Clinic. Marriage and Family Clinic is here to help you break down and gain enlightenment into your relationship dynamics. We hope to help you identify what makes you tick and ultimately really want to help you repair, help you grow, perfect your marriage and family relationships. Well, folks, well, 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 the day that millions have looked forward to and waited on for four years now is finally here. Today is the day that millions have prayed for. Today marks the arrival of the day that multiple millions have dreaded for the last four years. Today is the day that we as a nation decide whether we will continue on something of the same path we've traveled for the last four years now, or will we choose a different path? Today is the day we decide whether or not we will keep the incumbent chief executive, or will we choose another chief executive of our nation? Today is election day. This is election day, and and pretty soon we will have an answer to the questions I just posed. We'll know whether or not we will have four more years led by our current president, Donald Trump, or will we limit him to one term and adjust to the leadership of the former vice president of the United States, Joe Biden? Whatever the outcome, whatever the outcome, folks, I believe today is a pivotal day. And I hope that if you are of voting age, you have already voted. You only got a few minutes. You only have about an hour left. So if you're voting age, I hope you have voted. Whether you voted absentee, voted early, or voted today, you fulfilled your civic duty. You voted. Thank God for you. Appreciate you. If you did not vote, if you did not vote, shame on you. That's all I can say. Unless your reason for not voting was some serious physical limitation or or some other understandable, reasonable hurdle that prevented you from voting. And there are not many of those reasons out there. So if you didn't vote and you got some kind of an excuse, it's totally insufficient to excuse you. If you did not vote, all I can say is shame 
on you. I was listening to Pastor John Hanna on, on Facebook today. He said, if you did not vote, I hope you get ringworms. <laughs> if you did not vote, I hope you get corn on all your toes. <laughs> your toes look like a bunch of knuckles. <laughs> that man, I tell you. But listen, in all seriousness, we owe it to our nation. We owe it to ourselves, our families. We owe it to our ancestors, our forefathers. We owe it to them to vote. So if you did not vote, I pray that God will seriously convict you, not let you rest until you do something about it. Here's another thing I want to say. Whatever the outcome may be, we need to accept it because the need to work on progress is going to be far greater than any usefulness we can get out of fighting against the outcome. Yeah. The need to work on progress is going to be far greater. That, that need to get forward, to move forward, to get on down the road, that need is far greater than anything we could get out of fighting against the outcome. We have to get busy working on progress, get busy working on our future. And I know that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, a lot of different things to a lot of different groups. But we're going to really need to rally around the idea of progress. I'm reminded that Martin Luther King Jr. said, we better live together. And I'm going to paraphrase this real quick. We better learn to live together as brothers or we certainly going to perish as fools. So I'm charging every believer especially, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm charging you, seek the kingdom and continue to stand in the gap for this nation like never before. Now let's get on with today's episode. Let's get on with today's episode. I want to take up a subject that I haven't devoted much time to. I've kind of hit it and missed it a little bit. But I want to take up a subject that I haven't devoted much time to. I want to start one of our mini-series on the issues of teens and adolescents. I'm going to deal with the issue of teens and adolescents. And, and I have to be careful with this subject because already I've thrown an iron into the fire. I use the terms teen and adolescence. And so first thing I want to do is define them. Give us working definitions again. Give us working definitions. That's where we always start on marriage and family clinic to keep us all on the same page to keep us thinking the same thing, heading in the same direction. And so I use the terms teens and adolescents. Now, when I say teens, when I speak of teenager, I'm referring to chronology. Teenager, I'm simply referring to young people between the ages of 13 and 19. Did you hear the teen? So that's a teenager. That young person between the age of 13 and 19. Now, when I say adolescent, when I say adolescent, I'm talking about a phase of life for the young person that begins mm, around the age of 12 or so. Give or take a few months, give or take a year. It, adolescence begins around the age of 12. Watch this. And it lasts through the mid-20s. That's the iron in the fire. Adolescents and teens are not the same thing, even though they overlap. Your adolescent years will overlap your teen years, although they're not the same thing. 
You can leave your teens and remain adolescent. Teens, 13 to 19 year olds, adolescents, a period of life beginning somewhere around 12, lasting through mid-20s. But here's the real deal. Whether you're talking about teens or adolescents, the thing these two phenomena have in common is that the years spent in those periods are often accompanied by emotional and behavioral difficulties that are very challenging to both the teen, the adolescent, and the parents, and the remainder of the family for that matter. So when I say adolescent years overlap teen years, the thing that they have in common is that those years, those years are often accompanied by emotional and behavioral difficulties because of the change that our young people are going through during, during these periods of life. So the teens, the parents, uh, both of them, they often mishandle, they surely misunderstand, and even misuse this period. Misuse this period. Teens mishandle, misunderstand, and misuse the period because they think uh, uh, that because they're smelling themselves that they can have their way, they can rebel, and have no consequences. It's always so funny, and I'm not going to come down on teens, but just a funny thing here. Teens want to do whatever it is they want to do. They want to be grown. They want to act like grown, living in their mama's and daddy's house, but they forget they are living in their mama's and daddy's house. They can't take care of themselves. They cannot provide for themselves economically, but yet they want the same privileges of an adult. And that's pretty challenging. And that's going to present you some serious challenges. And for the parent, parents falter when they don't understand that you cannot parent your teen or your adolescent the same way you parent your toddler or your youth. Two different worlds, folks, two different worlds. So even though I'm talking about two different things here, the two terms, teens and adolescents, they're so closely related. They're related close enough that I can use the terms interchangeably. So keep that in mind. I'm talking about two different things, but I'm talking about one period. I'm talking about the same challenges and difficulties. And also, I really want to focus on the teen years and the dynamics of being a teen. I want to get into this. I want to talk about this in this mini-series. The dynamics of being a teen today. So for the sake of this presentation, I'm going to use the terms teens and adolescents interchangeably. I will use them interchangeably. I may say teens. I may say adolescent. I'm talking about the same thing. Those teen years. Because even though adolescence lasts and extends into the mid-20s, more often than not, once that uh, a young person turns 18, 19, or 20, they're leaving your house. They're joining the workforce. They're joining the military. They're going to college. They're doing something. But generally speaking, they're out of your house. So I'm, I'm concentrating. I'm focusing on the teen dynamics because they still, as long as you're a teen, 99% of the time, your behavior, your attitude, your, your everything about the teen, the dynamics of being a teen impacts the entire family. So when you hear either term, I'm referring to the teen years, what the teen experiences during those years and how the teen's experiences impact the family because the teen's experiences definitely will impact the family. <clears throat> Teenager, by, by the way, by the way, by the way, 
Have you ever wondered where the term, the meaning, teenager came from? Let's take a sidebar right here. Uh, oftentimes, and, and I want to take a sidebar just to speak a word about history. Oftentimes we miss the essence and the meaning of ideas, traditions, practices, etc., etc., because we don't look at the history of what's going on. History is critical to understanding how you get to where you are, and history is critical in further determining what to do about your future. What are you going to do with your future? And, and I'm looking at our nation. I'm looking at political chaos. I'm looking at racial divide. I'm looking at uh, 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 cultural division, subcultures in our nation, in the world as a whole. And I think it's a lack of, of one part of it. Not only is it about turning away from God, but one part of it is that we don't have the proper appreciation of history. We don't even have the proper account of history but when you appreciate history and learn the history of a thing you can figure out how you got to where you are and what to do about going forward and so it is with teenagers if we look at the history of teenagers we can figure out how we got where we are and we can have a better idea of what to do going forward and if we want to truly understand the dynamics of being a teen and why the teen years seem to be so complicated, we definitely need to look at the history of the meaning of teenager. Now, Gary Chapman uh, uh, provides a solid and very useful chronology of the formation of teenagers uh, 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 as we know them today in his book, The Five Love Languages of Teenagers. Chapman draws information from other works, several other works, to describe the transition period in which teens began to break away. I want to share some of that with you as we talk about the history of teenagers. There was no such thing as teenager as we know it today, as you commonly think of teenager. There was no such thing as that prior to the 1940s. World War II and the Great Depression brought all kinds of changes. There was national, industrial, educational, social, cultural, family changes, etc., more and more changes. From the 40s and, and World War II also came uh, uh, this new phenomenon to deal with called the teenager. You're probably saying to yourself, it's not like there weren't the 13 and 19-year-olds before World War II. It's not like we didn't have 13 and 19-year-olds during the Great Depression. And you'd be right. They were there. They've always been around. You can't get to be grown. You can't become old unless you go through the teen years. So they've always been around. But something different happened during this time period. All of this change brought change in family structure and function also. So during this particular time period, teens um, emerged as a distinct culture in and of themselves. They were little boys and girls. They were, not, they were not little boys and girls any longer. Yet they were not men and women either. Did you get that? They weren't little boys and girls anymore, and they weren't men and women either. And that can throw you in a flux. They, weren't, they were not seen as distinctly uh, 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 transitioning from childhood into adulthood either. But they were noticeably, intentionally, and sometimes forcefully establishing their identity and their independence. What do I mean by that? Watch this. Prior to World War II, and, and, and we'll just use our cutoff date as World War II for discussion purposes. Prior to World War II, most children in their teen years contributed in concrete ways to the maintenance of the family and the home by working. Now, that's a way of living that we need to bring back. 
these teenagers ought not be sitting on their duffs playing video games and just having a good time. They ought to be contributing concretely to the maintenance of the home to help them discover themselves. I, I'll get to that in just a moment. But they they worked. They worked on farms. They worked in factories. They did whatever they did needed to do. To, uh, 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 they did whatever their families needed them to do to support the family, to contribute to the maintenance of the family. They had no choice in the matter. They had no choice in the matter. They just did whatever they had to do to support the family until they married and established a family of their own. Now, during this time, there was no teenage subculture like we know it today. There was the social scene, of course, but nothing like the strong draw of movies and music and clothes and hanging out and so forth and so on like we know it and see it today. So when they were old enough, they married, they established their own families. They started having children to do the same things that they had done all of their lives. Did you hear me say they started having children? <laughs> they started having children to do the same thing they had done all of their lives. And because there were so many farms, it wasn't uncommon for couples to have large numbers of children specifically to help run and maintain the farm. And there was another significant happening that changed the cultural and family landscape. And that was the Great Depression, which lasted through the 30s. Began in the late 20s, 1929, lasted through the 30s. As you can imagine, all kinds of jobs were lost during the Great Depression. Businesses were, went broken, belly up. People went broke, bankrupt, all sorts. Just, man, the loss, the devastation. The nation's economy was turned on its head. Bam! All of a sudden, one day, the economy is shot to pieces. Broken into 10 million little pieces. As a result, as a result, those who did make it only had a very few jobs. There were only very few jobs. And these jobs went to men mainly. They were responsible, the primary supporters of family, the primary breadwinners. So all of the jobs went to men. What's the result? Well, now you have all of these teens who used to have jobs and work. They're out of work, but they still have to be supported. Sounds like our teens today. You know what I call people who live at home, children who live at home? I call them unemployed homeless people. I'll get to that one day maybe. Uh, uh, so with the Great Depression, all the businesses close, go belly up. The economy is broken, shattered into millions of pieces. Uh, people losing homes, everything. Only a few jobs. They go to the men. We've got all of these teens moved out of the workforce. Moved out of the workforce, out of work, but they still have to be supported. Now, whereas they used to make concrete contributions to the maintenance of the family and the support of their own homes, they're now unable to do so because they're out of work. So they sit at home, but they still have to be fed. They sit at home, but they still have to be closed and housed. And that's sucking up more money. And some of you listening to me right now, you may know what I'm talking about because you have one or two or three or four teenagers at home, no job, eating up everything, and you're still buying them clothes. You're still housing them. You're still feeding them. And some of you are allowing them to treat you and talk to you as they please. The turmoil of the teen years. 
But this phenomenon can be a serious drain on a family's economic situation when they already have a low income. Shoot, this can be a drain even with good income. So what do we get out of this? Well, the economic upheaval caused a social upheaval also. I said the economic, that economic upheaval caused a social upheaval. And now many of these teens, they're leaving home. We're talking about back in the 30s now, into the 40s. They're leaving home to find work in other cities and states. You know, as I, as I went over this in my mind, I began to think I've seen a few movies where teens would leave home, hop trains, and go to other cities looking for work to support themselves. Now I understand why. Some of them ended up getting put out of their homes. So now they're sleeping around town. They're begging for food. And of course, when you have little resources and you begin to get desperate to make it, guess what? It leads to crime. The problem became so big that President Franklin Roosevelt established, established the National Youth Administration to provide job training and opportunities for teens. And that, of course, included education. So before, before all this, education was no big deal. Since jobs were plenty, teens before this, before the 30s, before World War II, before the Great Depression, teens knew what they were going to do. They knew what they were about. Got to help the family. Now we come through this phase. All of that's turned on its head. All of that is a thing of the past. Now what do we do with these teens? President Roosevelt establishes the National Youth Administration, provides job training, provides opportunities for teens, and that includes education, which before now was no big deal. Just no big deal. But the thinking was, the prevailing thought was formal education would offer teens a structured learning environment where they could learn a skill or trade, they could work on discipline, they could discover their talents, they could develop goals, they could establish work habits, and they can go on and graduate and become productive citizens, become productive members of society. Listen, I, I hope that thinking has not changed drastically. I think one, unfortunately, one change in that mode of thinking is that that thinking back then was to educate teens. The thinking nowadays from kindergarten through high school is more so to indoctrinate kids rather than educate kids. So education is all about let's learn here. Let's really do some serious learning. Let's learn a trade. Let's learn a skill. Work on discipline. I'm made for something. My personality is fitted and suited for some career. Let's help me discover my talents, develop goals, help me establish work habits, all the things that we don't do in school today. And that's how you turn out productive members of society, productive citizens. And the importance of all this shifting can be seen in the outcomes of public education. Statistics say that around 1900, only 6% of 17-year-olds, 6% of 17-year-olds, 6 out of 117-year-olds received a high school diploma around 1900. But by 1939, with all of this shifting, that number had risen to 75%. 
So by 1939, 75% of 17-year-olds were earning a high school diploma. There was a lot of shifting going on. I think it was Jerry Lee Lewis who sang a whole lot of shaking going on. The society was being shaken for real. And education became paramount. And I just want to say right now to all of my brothers and sisters out there, we need to refocus on education. We need another sidebar, please. We need to focus on education. Our young people need education. And I'm saddened sometimes when I see little children who can't read and write but can bounce a ball, can hit a ball, can shoot a ball. Education. Look at the numbers of those who make it to the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball. There's only a minute fraction of ball players who make it that far. Don't bank on that. Get an education. Get an education. So this societal shift, there was all that shifting going on. Education became paramount. Okay? Uh, everything that I have said about the chronology of teens thus far has been generally directed toward white teens. It's been generally directed toward white teens. And here's what I want you to think. Just think about this. During the early part of the 20th century, back in the 20s and 30s, if things were that bad and that shaken up for white people, what do you think it was like for black people? And you think we can afford to skip over education? Well, guess what? This societal shift was good for something else too. Shifting all these teens from the workforce and the street into public schools made for a social setting in which teenism, <laughs> teenism would take over. What do I mean by that? Well, a new teenage subculture would be born. We're not working now. Our role in the family is less defined than it was before. Not sure what to do. And I got some extra time on my hands. And what do I do? Well, we learn how to socialize. We learn how to get involved. We had to do something with that extra time. And that's how the new teenage subculture was born. When I say teenism took over, I'm referring to those behaviors and mindsets that we generally associate with teen years today. There was the socializing, the self-discovery, the identity formation, fashion trends, music, dance, rebellion, you know how this goes. The teens that we know today, that phase was born back then in the 20s and 30s because of the shifting in our society. Fashion was a big thing. They wore bobby socks. The girls wore bobby socks. And, and, and they even came, became to be known as bobby soxers. That name was given to teens because that's what they wore. And they would later pick up the name teenagers. They would later pick up the name teenagers. Well, folks, listen, I, I just wanted to present that short history of teen years to you. Uh, uh, and hope that said something to you. I hope that helped shape your perspective or challenge your perspective on dealing with your teens. And regardless of the era, there is a commonality among teens then and teens now. 
because of their unique station in life, they present particular challenges to themselves, to their parents, to their families, to their communities, to the nation, to society as a whole. And you better believe parents needed a whole lot of work dealing with them then, and parents need a whole lot of help dealing with them now. Uh, I'm reminded of the theme song to the uh, Bill Cosby show that used to come on Different World. And that theme song says, it's a different world than where you come from. And I just want to encourage moms and dads to keep that in mind. Teens are living in a different world. They're trying to figure life out. They have to develop their identity. They got to get it formed. They have to discover themselves. They're going to be into fashion and trends. If there is one thing that is true about adolescence and the teen years, it is this, this internal drive to socialize. Maybe I'll get to that. But there is this eter- internal drive to socialize. Your teens will listen to their friends quicker than they'll listen to you, mom and dad. Because there is this seemingly internal drive to socialize. You're going to need help. Reach out and get some help. Hey, my time is up. My time is up. Let me reach out to you and tell you something here. I want to enlist your help to help me support this program financially. If you would like to support this program financially, one quick thing you can do is go to Cash App. Look for that dollar sign Bishop Hodges, dollar sign Bishop Hodges. Send me a little help. And let me know. Email me at cdhodges at hotmail.com. Look me up on Facebook, Bishop Carl Hodges. Email me, contact me. Let me know whether or not we're doing you some good. Let me know if you got questions on teens. Now, we're going to be dealing with teens. We're going to be dealing with teens. We're going to watch them develop. We're going to learn about their thinking. We're going to look into their reasoning. Send me a gift to help me support this program financially. Contact me. Let me know if I'm doing you any good. Let me know if you have questions or anything that you want to deal with. And listen. Listen, we're out of time. I got to get out of here. Remember, the only way to have peace is to surrender your life to the Prince of Peace. God bless you. We're out. You've been tuned in to the Family and Marriage Clinic with your host, Bishop Carl Hodges. You can tune in every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on your station for praise. WGPL 1350.